0: For show notes from this episode, visit SustainableAmbition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to be here today with Amber Beam. Amber, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me, Kathy, I am stoked to be here.
0: We're, re- we're both really excited if you can't hear it in our voices. <laughs> so first, before getting into our conversation, let me introduce you to Amber. Amber Beam is a midlife career coach for women who want to switch careers without starting over or taking a pay cut. With 15 years of experience as an industrial and organizational psychologist in HR, Amber's goal is to show women over 40 exactly how to cash in on decades of experience and expertise to launch their soulmate career. Amber's proven coaching system teaches you how to reach the height of your professional potential by silencing the mind drama and shifting your mindset to craft a happy, rewarding, and successful career that makes a difference and pays the bills. So again, I'm so excited to have Amber here with us today and You know, one of the concepts, Amber, that I talk about with sustainable ambition is the idea of managing one's career from decade to decade. And I'm curious if you could share with us what some of your philosophies are around this idea of how do you really manage a career over time?
1: Oh, yes. I think that is um, the question. I think for many, many people, especially in our current times, um, we're having sort of this career awakening where we're um, very astutely aware of what we do and do not like about our work um, and perhaps for the first time are sincerely motivated to make some pretty big changes. Um, and, And I think when you think about your career over time, most people have um, the traditional, especially Americans, this idea of climbing the corporate ladder, and there's this very linear career path that you follow. Um, for those listening, I am definitely making hand gestures in the upward vertical <laughs> method. <laughs> um, this idea that like it's it's up in order to achieve more, um, and I think for the better that that is really evolving right now. Um, There's no time to put together a career ladder. We've basically um, come to the point where the rate of change stimulated by technology um, and especially um, advances in customer um, perceptions has pushed us and business to the point that we are constantly evolving. So there's no time to put together this beautiful ladder that you climb to be CEO one day. I think it's um, becoming much more, um, I'm loving the phrase, jungle gym-like. So you're kind of um, swinging from monkey bar to monkey bar, or you're in one of those um, trapezoidal things that they have now on playgrounds, So you can go from this side to that side. Um, and the idea being that there's there's no one way, but you are moving forward. The idea is to gather little experiences as you go. And I think when you, um, especially for my clients who are mostly mid-career, their ideas of looking forward are between today and retirement. So that's all I really need to manage. And what does that look like? And what do I want to see for myself? Maybe if I were even fast forwarding to that big retirement party, um, what's the speech I give? What's my big um, cornerstone project or the relationship that I built or the stakeholders that I brought on? You know, what will be my big shiny moment? There's the legacy person. And then I also think there's the person whose um, legacy isn't so much about the work or a deliverable directly, as it is the people um, who are in terms of my direct reports, or even the person who might be replacing me, my successor, I'm so proud of that person of that person's journey. Um, I think that's a a much more um, creative and organic way to think about career growth. As soon as we can let go of this attachment to a ladder. Um, I say ditch the corporate ladder. I think it should be used for firewood. I don't think it's good for anything. (laughs) It really sets you up for this like one and done kind of moment. And that just doesn't exist anymore. Um, And and having this idea of what talent mobility looks like, this this moving around um, is much more... I think, freeing for employees themselves, but also for employers. You don't have to come up with a one-and-done solution um, to help someone into a promotion, let's say. It could be much more about sharing their skills around lots of different areas in your business.
0: Wow, Amber, you just shared so many gems of wisdom, and I <laughs> I want to go back and unpack a few things. Um, sure. So one of the things, just to build upon what you're talking about in terms of burning that ladder, right, and getting rid of it. You know, I had on the show Philip Van Dusen, a good friend of mine, who also has shared that he was coached to not believe in the corporate ladder as well and instead to think of his career as a web. And Mm, I know you talk about like that jungle gym, right? Or that trapezoidal thing, whatever it's called on, on the playground. And I'm curious how you think about those lateral moves or if you have any guidance as you're saying that You know, as people think about switching and getting those other opportunities, how do they think about navigating or selecting some of those options that they might choose?
1: I think there are two things. You can kind of um, have evergreen um, sort of antenna up and listening, um, and the things that you And this is so funny, as an insider, you probably don't think to do this, but reading the press releases for your corporation really tells you what their big projects are, where they're spending money, what they're projecting to do next, what they've prioritized. And if you can read between the lines, and I'm sure your listeners can because they're extraordinarily brilliant, um, you can read between the lines and kind of assess, oh, that they're gonna be looking for somebody with these types of skills. And what you might be surprised to find out is that they're not always technical skills. Yes, we should all be um, advancing our tech skills and understanding um, digital literacy, Um, even in this year, has evolved so quickly. Um, Being sort of upfront and adaptable to new platforms is great, but there's also this need, this really, really big, deep need for what used to be called soft skills. But I call them power skills. They are the types of skills like um, influence, negotiation, um, emotional intelligence, all of those kind of um, skills that take a while to acquire and are never really mastered, but you just get better and better and better with experience, they're super valuable because you can't train someone to do that in a matter of time. You can't bring someone up to speed quickly, which is a a business manager or a line officer's um, number one priority. I have to get somebody up to speed right now so we can get to work right away. And I also need them to have these technical skills. But I can guarantee if you can come in with the soft skills and the motivation to learn the tech, they will help you out. They will find a way to bring you on the team. And that puts you in a very powerful position for your next lateral move. Because not only are you building this web of skills, as you said, Kathy, but you're also creating this wonderful network and relationships um, of people who get to see you in action. And can be champions for you when you're ready to do the next thing, whatever that is, or however long down the road that might be. It might be tomorrow, maybe 30 days, it might be longer, but suddenly you have someone who can be this advocate for you to say, oh my, I got to work with Kathy and I can just tell you when she comes in the room, it really lights up. People respond to her well. They're um, always open to hear her uh, interpretation, to listen to her analysis because she's presenting in such a way that makes it easy for people to want to know more. That is not a trainable skill. That is something you acquire with experience. Um, and I think that that is going to become the, the new trading value. That is basically your coin for the next decade, I think, of what career development looks like.
0: Yeah, that's so great. One of the things that pops into my head when I think about those power skills, and I'm curious if this falls in the list, Amber, is... Part of what you're describing to me is are people who can enter into organizations where they're asking people to be agile and where they're looking to kind of dial up teams. And also oftentimes these are teams that are innovating, right? They're doing new things. And I've done work in the past around what does an innovation leader look like? What are the skills and capabilities that people need to have in order to really succeed in innovation? And it's very different than running a base business, say. And I'm curious, does that spark any ideas in terms of specific skill sets that are that falls into the realm of a power skill that links to being good at agility and innovation?
1: I would say those probably go hand in hand. And I would imagine there's, um, it's kind of like um, your grandmother's um, Sunday recipe. It got to be so good because she made it every single week, right? <laughs> and there's just that, that way that she does it. It's just this pinch of something here and a, and a little smidge of something there. I think that's kind of what's happening in your skill set. Um, what an innovation leader might be relying on is probably a lot of relationship management skills, and some leadership skills, um, and then also those technical skills. But my guess is the relationship management piece, inspiring others to kick kick things that um, seem old fashioned, you know, to the to the curb and try something new. But also allowing people the space to fail. That's a very special skill. Making um, a place that's trusted and gives. Um, you know, a lot of respect to vulnerability. Um, That's not easy to do either. And I think those are the types of skills that are definitely going to be needed in an innovation leader.
0: Yeah, that's great. I'm curious too, you brought up um, even some of these skills that you're mentioning and the way that you're talking about them. You talked about people in mid-career and making mid-career transitions. And, you know, people who are a little bit later in their career often feel there's so much talk about millennials and Gen Z and Gen Xers aren't spoken about as much. And then you layer on a technology component. I live in the Bay Area, so that kind of comes into play sometimes too. Yet what you're describing to me are the people who have those power skills already developed are people that are a little bit further in their careers. So I'm, I'm curious if there's any advice you give your clients and mid-career changers In terms of how to bring those to life when they're either looking for that next thing, um, trying to figure out how they want to apply themselves going forward, how do you how do you think about that for mid career changers?
1: Yeah, I recommend to my clients that they actually sit down and define their unique selling proposition, and that's more than just your your strengths, more than just skills that you're good at. It's sort of that. magic Venn diagram moment where a couple of circles overlap and you've got the sweet spot. If you can define that, if you can make it easy for a hiring manager to understand why you are superior to someone else, that seals the deal. And I think there's nothing um, that can do that more quickly than telling a story of where you're the heroine. You provide the situation. You you give them the conflict. It's all like writing a screenplay, right? It's a, it's a mini mini movie, <laughs> and you're sort of diving into um, all of the pieces that came into play and how you overcame these challenges to bring about victory and just relish in your results. That USP should be central to your story. Um, I think there's nothing like having, um, sometimes your elevator pitch is can feel a little flat, right? And you only have 30 seconds. But imagine if you had slightly longer. If you can tell someone a story, they can remember that much longer and more vividly than your elevator pitch. So they can recount it To someone else. If you're in one of the most likely situations for getting a new job, which is being referred, (laughs) you will need this. You will need this story. You will need to convince someone to be your advocate, to be your champion, Um, and having something that they can retell. Um, even their manager or even HR. Um, Having sat on the other side of the desk, I can tell you a convincing hiring manager can find funding for the person that they need to bring on. And a good story will help them do that.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yes. The power of stories and leveraging them in so many ways, right? From building your leadership brand to being able to sell yourself. That's exactly what that is. And being able to bring yourself to life is a very wise gem at piece of advice. So (laughs) I love that. Um, Going back to one of the things that you brought up was like talent mobility, as well as, you know, you also Mention like the current work environment and the climate that is kind of demanding that people manage their careers differently. And we've talked about something that you call the growth effect. And I'm curious how that plays into this current environment that we're living in today, the future of work. And I was just curious if you could tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yes, so um, this is sort of my brainchild um, after many, many iterations of working with individual clients, um, creating a framework or model around which to talk about kind of the steps involved um, and and what it looks like to really um, bring your career into the next, Iteration, I think, um, and so the model itself is just the three Ds: um, discover, design, and deliver. Um, and in a corporate setting, I can see, well, I should say what I want to see. Um, you know, if I if I get my um, my moment to make a wish, it's that we start to think about corporations in terms of how can we grow together. How can the business? and our employees grow at the same time. And I think there's space for that with this growth effect model. This idea that we discover what work needs to be done, that helps the business, but we also take some time to really ask our employees, hey, I know you did some other things before you got here, and maybe you do some things on the side, like your side hustle, or work with charities, Um, you've probably built up this elaborate um, understanding skill set that we don't have any idea. You know, as a company, all we know is what's on your job description. And that is super boring and way flat, one dimensional. (laughs) But this idea is that we could get a better understanding of the full capabilities of our employees. And as an individual, my coaching around this stage is very much about um, that USP, understanding your skills, and breaking through the mind drama, which can be an entire podcast all into itself. (laughs) But before we go there, (laughs) um, the design phase, is sort of like the matchmaking. So we have... um, Do you remember back in the days when we could go to coffee shops and you would see the flyer with someone advertising babysitting services, let's say. So we get a little information about how great your babysitter is. And then there's the tear off moment where you could take that away and call her later. That's what the design phase is. It's that matchmaking moment. Hey, I have some work or I'd like to do some work. Connect with me and let's see how we can help one another. For corporations, this is career development, like amplified to the nth degree. This is an organic, natural ability to get your urgent work done by people who probably have the skills ready and willing to go now so that they can learn other skills themselves sometimes we forget that the best resources are right under our nose. We have no idea what our what the capabilities of our people are. Then we can't match them to these opportunities. And for our employees in a one-on-one situation, um, this is very much about me helping my clients identify that listening mechanism. So in terms of what I as an individual want to do next with my job with my career? um, What are the kinds of steps that I would take? Or what interests me? Or just what do you hear um, in the virtual water cooler now? Like, what are you hearing is like, about that you're interested in? And then after that connection takes place in the design phase, we move on to deliver. And that's where you're actually seeing the work done. And creating um, what should be a really great testimonial for both sides. So in corporate, the manager would be able to say, Oh my goodness, we didn't have to wait to hire a contractor. We didn't have to wait to bring someone on full time. We had this person in-house all along and he did a great job. And then the employee is able to say, oh, my goodness, I got to learn so much from this manager. I got to see a different management style. I got to see a different part of the business. Um, And I was able to lend these skills while growing these skills. So it's a win-win situation. That's what I would love to see in the next iteration of corporate giants thinking of about like the mutual win. How do we get there? Um, And this is sort of my, uh, as I said, my brainchild (laughs) for how to do it.
0: It's great. It's great. What I'm hearing, tell me if this is the right way to think about it, Amber. It's a little like intra-gig workers. What I mean, so can we talk about intrapreneurs? Is this intra-gig workers in a way, even though I don't really like the term gig worker by any means? Yeah, I think gig
1: can be yeah, I think it can be hard to explain. Um, Actually, I had a musician friend kind of weigh in on some of my talking points. And he was like, people are just not going to get this. They're, this isn't how they think about that word. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I mean, I understand. <laughs> but yes, it's sort of like, um, it's kind of like an internal side hustle. But even smaller. It's it's project-based, but it's still autonomous. You still have some freedom. Um, and you're you're continuously learning, which I think is the most exciting part because frankly, I don't think we have the luxury of standing in place anymore. We have to be continuously learning.
0: Totally agree with that point. And I'm curious, Amber, like as you Think about these internal side hustles. I kind of I wanted to come back to the mind drama piece, even though you said that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. But part of the reason <laughs> part of the reason I wanted to come back to it, because you prompted this thought even from the first question was this notion of people do think it's supposed to be a ladder, and that with every move you move up. And when you start to say, hey, there can be some lateral moves and yet you're still growing and you're still progressing but accepting that can be hard and i've talked with some other folks on the podcast about this idea of pacing and that's part of the right effort part of sustainable ambition and it just i'm i'd love to get some of your perspective, if you're saying like this mind drama or the mind chatter that might happen. And is that what you're talking about? Or are there even more that people kind of struggle with when they think about managing their careers in this way?
1: Yeah, I think that definitely the um, the kind of always moving up, always looking for a promotion, um, always advancing is definitely um, one of the big hurdles. I also think um, for many of my clients, they come to me with this um, irrational almost fear of not having enough experience. Um, and because again, I work with mid-career people, you have almost 20 years of experience. How can you believe that you don't have enough experience? <laughs> um, but there, there is kind of that like, that fear that sort of takes hold. And um, and I think especially, you know, for women, again, I can only speak for women in America. Um, there's this societal pressure of um, the who do you think you are kind of imposter syndrome stuff pops up. There's um, nobody else looks like me in leadership. There's um, nobody's done it before. Why would Why would it be me? Um, so there's there's some of this chatter around imposter syndrome, not enough. Um, and there's also just some kind of personal baggage, right? That we come with these situations, um, maybe from a bad boss or a project that went awry. Um, and there's some kind of nagging moment of who do you think you are? Like, you think you can do this? You think that you can go from this person who's been in this kind of same box for this long to suddenly being somebody else just because you want to? I I think there's a lot of kind of that chatter.
0: Which brings up for me, I also wanted to find out your perspective on this, which is, you know, because sometimes those things, like you're saying, there it's imposter syndrome. It's just a story you're telling to yourself. But sometimes I think that's also that the corporate environment has not allowed or created a, an environment where this is okay and or that this is what's expected. And that's, I, I take away your comment about how I would like it to be in corporate America mm. is, is this way. And so I'm curious when you think about the growth effect or all of the things that we've talked about in terms of managing your career, you know, not seeing it as a ladder, making these lateral moves, what is the responsibility or advice to the employee and the individual? And what's your advice to a company and what is their responsibility?
1: I would say the companies who are on the cutting edge know that this is, um, it's not coming. It's here. The future is now. Um, this this is a must, not optional, um, for any of those laggards. Um, it will it'll bite you in the butt. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna come. It's gonna get you. And I think that top talent, um, especially people who have been very ambitious in their career, again, we are scanning, we are listening, um, and we're taking note of companies who are doing these things. Who is positioning themselves to speak to employees in this manner? Who is, um, which companies are trying to make places for the individual contributor who doesn't necessarily want to manage others, but has a wealth of expertise that can be shared in many different ways. And I think, um, again, cutting edge companies are there. And I also think a lot of... um, Companies who are in like the best places to work list. I think that they have ambitions to be there. Um, It's definitely something that they're open to hearing more about. Um, For many of them, it's the logistics of how to do it and also the cultural stronghold. Um, Another entire podcast could be spent on talent hoarding. (laughs) We've all met that manager. Um, (laughs) But I think that's a huge part of the culture too, is creating this shift from they're my people to they work for our organization. And this is um, a wellspring of talent that we all get to use. That's a huge cultural shift. Um, But there are ways to make that happen. And I think for the employee, um, it's definitely going to be an uphill road for a bit, but I think that you can convince people to let you pilot, I'm using air quotes, um, these efforts because if you are the first person who's making the case for this, you can say, well, we could try it out and if it doesn't work no big deal we don't you know it's not a big thing because it was a pilot nobody knew if it was going to work so nobody gets in trouble you know there's no no love loss <laughs> and there are great ways to sort of position yourself as um you know the first person out the door and um i would say the key to making that successful is finding a way to um shine a spotlight on your manager. So lift as you climb. If you are going to make this lateral move look like the most incredible thing ever on the planet, and I know you can, you need to take your manager with you. So make it possible to show the win for him or her as well. That's always
0: wise advice, right? Like make your boss look good. We we should yes. we shouldn't forget that piece of advice for people. <laughs> uh, so I'm all I'm hearing in that advice, Amber, this notion of first off, look for companies that are already doing this or on the cutting edge, and then secondly, if your company isn't there, ask to pilot something,
1: which is really totally. Great. And in
0: doing and so, again, highlight your manager who 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 right. has to support you in this, frankly.
1: Right. And honestly, um, having sat in HR, again, I can tell you as an HR person, you can probably find one or two of us who are just just willing to listen long enough to get curious with you and help you create that business case. And then it's not just coming from a single employee in the business line. Suddenly now you have a little HR backing to say, well, when I pitched it to HR, they seemed interested too. And I think that would help as well. Um, there's... I, there's always someone in HR <laughs> who is, is looking for these opportunities to like think bigger and, and be more curious, so, so seek that person out.
0: Very wise advice to find an advocate in HR. I really love that. One of the things that you're also bringing up for me, Amber, and I'm curious of your perspective on this, is oftentimes within companies, employees think that what is offered is what is available. Mm. And one of the things that I know I've fallen victim to this in my career is that I do not speak up for what I want. I assume, oh, if they were thinking about me, they would be giving this to me. And I end up, you know, I've kind of written something around speak up before you leave. Oftentimes, companies aren't, they should be, but they aren't always, read. they aren't able to read your mind. So no. do you have advice on... And part of even just being with you, Amber, I'm, I'm thinking enthusiasm goes a long way. And often enthusiasm is more important, frankly, than even technical skills or smarts. And so I'm wondering if you have advice just in terms of how people should be operating within organizations, how much they should be speaking up.
1: I would say, um, if it's important, say so. And it doesn't have to be a big, dramatic conversation. Like, I think that's how people talk themselves out of it. It can be a quick seed planted on a coffee walk. It could be um, a quick email to say, wow, I saw this really interesting piece of research today. It made me wonder... If we could do something like this, and just leave it at that, and then you know, in a week or two, you can plant another seed. You can follow up, um, and I I agree. I think enthusiasm goes a long way, and we can't forget um, we're selling the sizzle, right? Um, nobody buys a steak; everybody buys the sizzle. So you your first job is a marketer, regardless of what your title might be. Um, if you want something, market it. Tell people how it will help. Um, And this is another classic case of find a way to spotlight your boss for being amazing (laughs) and letting you do this or a way to align what your goal is with their goal. Um, And sometimes that's having, um, again, just a candid conversation. Usually we have um, manager to employee conversations around career development, you know, once or twice a year, formal conversations. You can always take a breath and ask your manager, hey, what are you interested in developing this year? You know, if, if I were looking for ways to support something that you're wanting to grow or or ways that maybe I could help um, you connect with people that are going to be um, able to position you for an opportunity, what would that look like? Um, it does, Just because they're your manager doesn't mean that you can't help them. And this is a great time to sort of make that ask.
0: I really love that piece of advice, Amber. I don't think people realize how much they can impact their boss. I think they're always looking to take from the organization or why isn't the organization doing this for me? Or why isn't my boss doing this for me? And it really is, it's a relationship Uh, and that boss can be a mentor to you and a mentor mentee relationship is a mutual relationship. So I love you. The fact that you're pointing that out.
1: Yeah, it's really powerful. Um, The the minute we kind of, I I think that would be my second, can I have more than one big wish? My second big wish (laughs) would be that we could drop this whole authoritarian command and control idea. And so that things became much more, um, not relaxed, but collegial. So there's a sharing implied instead of some constrictive relationship around saluting or, you know, being at attention at the proper time.
0: Yes, I agree with that as well. (laughs) I wanted to ask you before we move on to the rapid fire questions before I close, I wanted to seek your advice. If we go back to kind of the start of the conversation and this idea of managing career over decades, What advice would you give to people managing their careers in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s? What kind of, would it shift? How might your advice differ in each of those decades for people?
1: Um, I would say the one consistent thing would be building relationships, I think, um, too often when we need those relationships, we haven't spent the time to build them. Um, and also thinking about this idea of, um, creating value in everything. Um, and it can be very small. Again, these don't have to be arduous, time-consuming ideas, sharing research, um, entertaining, um, thoughts and ideas that are interesting to another person. Sometimes just asking somebody more than how are you like, Hey, what, how's, how's your project going? Or, Oh, I heard you were working with the VP. How's that (laughs) sort of setting yourself up to be a little more in depth and and not quite so surface in your relationships, I think will be um, consistent through every decade. Um, I would say what might differ um, for 20s, um, I would say my recommendation is to seek mentorship at all levels. So maybe someone who's just a year or two ahead of you, and then maybe five years or 10 years, um, and also building up a really great peer group, which sometimes in your 20s in corporate feels like there's two or three other people in some situations. um, Be a little more um open to what that might look like your peer group <laughs> and then i think for um 30s um i would say there's probably a lot of a lot of things happening in your personal life um and in your professional life that might start to cause friction um and just realize that um they're both going to be there for a long time <laughs> so it's the ultimate compromise and there's no one right answer you know um if you're interested in you know getting married and having kids and um or maybe you decide to leave and start um, a business on your own. Like those big decisions tend to happen in your 30s where you're still a little more adventurous, um, but you also have some like life stuff going on. So be kind to yourself. Um, you know, give room for growth where it comes up. And then um I would say in your 40s, take stock of lost opportunity. Too often we are thinking about um, X number of years to retirement, or I'm so far sunk into this job or this role, um, or I've always been a manager. How would I not be a manager? But really think about lost opportunities. You know, what, is there something that you haven't had the opportunity to do that you really want to, because you've kind of just given into the sunken cost theory, um, really challenge yourself to look at, um, ways that you can make these, you know, last 10 or 15 years really awesome.
0: So just to say a little bit more about the lost opportunities, are you saying, don't think all is done, there's still possibility out there for you. So dream, continue to dream for these last 10 to 15 years of your career?
1: Yes, I love that. I love that. And don't feel like um, it's It's never too late. I mean, I think of all the things that I firmly believe, this idea of continuous learning really spins that on its head because it could never be too late to learn something new. And because everybody has to learn something new, you're not too old. (laughs) That comes up a lot for my clients as well. And we really have to let that go because there are just opportunities. Um, They don't have any judgments around them and you shouldn't either.
0: I love that reframe around, especially this in time and this moment that we are all being asked to continually learn and that that means there is opportunity to go and do new things and to continue to grow. I just think that's really, really amazing to make that connection and reframe this time and make it be meaningful for everyone, no matter what stage of career you're in. So... I love that insight, Amber. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm going to wrap up and with some just rapid fire questions here and then we'll close things out. Um,
1: Oh, boy. Should I be nervous? No. You shouldn't. (laughs) Is there an egg timer? I always suck at egg timer games. (laughs) No egg timer here. So we're all
0: good. So the first one is how do you define success for yourself?
1: Ooh, for myself. You know, honestly, I sat down um, to do some business planning for 2021, and one of the first things I wrote down was, I'm going to ask myself, what makes me the luckiest girl in the world today? Like, what is it, even the smallest thing, that really makes um, me grateful that that I had that moment of gratitude?
0: I love that. Everyone pick that up. It's a great question (laughs) to ask. What's the best career advice you ever received?
1: oh um, I think one of the the funniest things that um I ever heard was uh just just don't take it too seriously like um it was on the edge of a a project that um I had hyped up in my own mind as being the most important thing that was ever going to be done, <laughs> and I was near the brink, um, and a colleague kind of said, "You know, you're doing a great job, but but there's more, you know to this. It doesn't have to be this big of a deal." And I was like, "Oh, well, okay. <laughs> so don't don't um, don't overhype yourself. Um, that t- tends to be, uh, you know, a tendency for me.
0: How do you like to take a break or pause?
1: Ooh, so I have um, used the tomato timer uh, for some time now, the Pomodoro method where it's um, interval kind of work. Um, there's a lot of good research around that if you haven't heard of it. Um, and it, it allows me to take breaks on a timer. So um, I'm forced to, especially right now, get up out of the chair and go for a walk. Um, and usually that's, could lead to a third cup of coffee which isn't the best habit but
0: (laughs) it is a break i'm with you on that one i'll put something in the show notes on the pomodoro method it's great reminder what's your best time saving or productivity tip
1: Ooh, i mean definitely the tomato timer is good um I would say I'm also um and I've I've shared this a couple of places. It feels like I've said this many times this week. I'm a Leadite, so I prefer to start with things on paper. Um, and I have recently been reassured by some research that if I turn that into a doodle instead of just words, um, it is actually more powerful in helping you kind of sequence things. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, so I'm, I guess that'll be something I'm adapting from my words to be more of a doodler.
0: Cool. What's one thing you can't live without?
1: Ooh, it's definitely music
0: great fabulous amber this has been such a great conversation as you can tell from the time i could probably talk with you for a lot longer so but we are out of time so i'd love to just ask you what two final questions one is what's a fine not that you've not given our listeners a ton of advice already but what's one final piece of advice you'd love to leave people with
1: um, I, I'm gonna share something that I recently heard um put so well. Um we can be passionate about many things and we should. Um, but in terms of career, we should let the marketplace dictate. So if you are passionate about gardening and you can make beautiful gardens for other people and people are willing to pay you for that, that is a great job. That also incorporates your passion. But if you only grow parsley and nobody is interested in buying just parsley from you, that might not be a good job. So, really um, letting the marketplace define uh, how your passion kind of shows up, I think, is a really good piece of advice.
0: That's great. Wonderful, Amber. What can we do for you, or where can people find you to keep in touch?
1: Um, Everything is on my website, uh, amberbeam.com, and I put together a special roadmap for career changers at amberbeam.com slash results, R-E-S-U-L-T-S, that'll help you go step-by-step through the mind drama piece, (laughs) putting your USP together, Um, what it's like to have maybe a difficult conversation with your manager about your development. Um, So lots of tips in that roadmap to help you with those.
0: Perfect. And I will capture those in the show notes for everyone. So you can check those out. Amber, thanks again for being with me today. This has been fabulous. And I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much. I had such a great time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe and remember it's not about finding work-life balance it's about building work-life resilience thanks again for joining me speak with you next time